Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Episode 101, if you can believe it, Revelation 12, verses 10 through 12. In our last podcast, we studied the adversary, the dragon, the Leviathan, the serpent of old, the twisted serpent, the devil, and Satan. And with that, we learned we should be glad that he will be thrown down to the earth and his angels with him. But then again, maybe not. The glorious declaration, a recapitulation, Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven now saying, Now has chosen to come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren has been caused to be thrown, he who is now accusing them before our God day and night. The layering of time. With the blowing of the seventh trumpet, we previously heard a loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The cry of this loud voice in heaven is essentially saying the same thing now has chosen to come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. It is a recapitulation of the truth that the principal owner of the estate is now moving to take back from his agents the rights he had granted to them. It is important to never forget that God granted leasehold rights as a landlord to the accuser. All of Satan's power and dominion have come from Yahweh, as Christ is the head over all rule and authority. Thus, Lucifer has no natural authority, only authority that has been granted and allowed. And now his agency contract, so to speak, is revoked. During this tenancy, Lucifer ruled a system of darkness, which we call the world. This system, managed by devils, has been held back by the light of the witnesses of God, as their light has kept the darkness from entirely engulfing the world, as he, Lucifer, once did. This prince of darkness, this covering cherub, has tried, but he has not been able to return this world to a time where darkness was over the surface of the deep and choked out the light. The light pierced the darkness. Yes, by his hand, Yahweh pierced the fleeing serpent, the dragon, And ever since that time, the light of God's witness, those reeds that flow with the oil of the Spirit of God, has been a preserving factor in this world. In Revelation 11, the two witnesses were removed from this world. As such, the darkness thinks it has won. It has conquered. It has prevailed over Yahweh. For the days of light have come to an end. Only night remains. Big mistake. Huge. Gigundous. Just saying, for the salvation of his people has come. 
They have been literally snatched from this world of darkness and brought into the light. They have been saved from the next big event on the prophetic timeline. And that is the wrath of God that will be poured out on all those who dwell on the earth. With his people safe and sound, hidden in their rooms, the power of God is unleashed through the wrath that will be poured out upon this world. Behold, Yahweh comes out of its place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. After the slaughter of the two witnesses, Lucifer, the beast, and the false prophet think they were the victorious ones, but in the same way that they were not prepared for Jesus to be resurrected from the dead and raptured to heaven at the ascension, they are not prepared for the witnesses that they slaughtered to be raised up to their feet and resurrected in the sight of all and then snatched away, raptured into the heavenlies. Likewise, they are not prepared for the raw power that will now overcome every resistance, every pocket of strength in this world, as well as every soul that thinks it can resist and fight against the Lamb. Isaiah 24, 1-6 Behold, Yahweh lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. And the people will be like the priests, the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, the creditor like the debtor. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled, for Yahweh has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world fades and withers, the exalted of the people of the earth fade away. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they transgressed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. Isaiah 24, 17 through 21. Terror and pit and snare confront you. O inhabitants of the earth, then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare, for the windows above are opened and the foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard, and it totters like a shack, for its transgression is heavy upon it, and it will fall, never to rise again. So it will happen in that day that Yahweh will punish the hosts of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth. With the final measurement of the sanctuary having been made, a measurement which clearly demarcates between the priests of God who are now worshiping in the sanctuary and all others, including those who are doing priestly duties in the temple at large, the gathering of the called and chosen and faithful ones into the presence of Jesus has come. This is the glory of the rapture, for the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is a collective of people bounded together by faith, hope, and love, and ruled by the Lamb. This kingdom is now assembled. It is finalized by those who comprise the new Jerusalem, the very bride of Christ. And in their rooms where they are hidden during the time of indignation or the time of wrath, they are prepared and they are ready to return with Christ when he establishes his physical rule and reign on this earth. Finally, the authority of his Christ, literally, his Messiah, or oiled one, has come. 
The prince of this world and his minions will no longer exercise global authority under the prior grant of positional rights. As Jesus once prophesied, now judgment is upon this world and the ruler of this world will be caused to be cast out. The notion that Satan and his angels were in the heavens speaks of the authority they exercised at a cosmic level. This explains why a created being, one that is not omnipresent, has been able to exercise power across the entire world. Satan is not everywhere, but his influence is because it comes down from such a high and lofty place. Therefore, when he and his demons are thrown or cast down to this world, their positional power suddenly becomes limited to the territory upon which their feet tread. That's, that will be a huge problem for the enemy. In addition, the contract for tenant rights to this world is revoked because it is no longer necessary. The kingdom of God has been assembled and the bride of Christ has been taken out of this world. She has been purified for she has made herself ready. Keep in mind, the need for the bride to be purified and ready is the whole reason God created evil in the first place. From amongst all of humanity, he wanted to draw out a faithful woman who would on her own volition be willing to let the spirit of God help her choose to become the beautiful bride of Christ and follow him, follow our Yahweh Yasha wherever he goes. Therefore, he needed to give all of humanity the opportunity to choose only Jesus when they could choose whoever and whatever else they want. Hence, the presence and necessity of evil. And he also used this evil to give all who are now believing the very authority to choose to be willing to let Yahweh purify them from this present darkness, to give them the opportunity and means to learn why they should trust Yahweh and how to trust only Yahweh. It is done. Now has chosen to come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. It happens just as it was prophesied. Psalm 110, 1 through 6. Yahweh, the Father, said to my Adonai, my Lord, also known as Jesus, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Yahweh will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. When you go to war, your people will serve you willingly. You are arrayed in holy garments, and your strength will be renewed each day like the morning dew. Yahweh has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yahweh stands at your right hand to protect you. He will strike down many kings when his anger erupts. He will punish the nations and fill their lands with corpses. Jesus now is sitting at the Father's right hand and is waiting for the time that the Father is set for his kingdom to invade this world and be victorious over his enemies. Yes, for now, Satan is the prince of this world, but his being cast from the heavens is just the beginning of his demise. Soon, the Father will grant permission or authority to the Son to act, and with just a word, at the time of his second coming, Satan will also be evicted from the earth, punished by being interned in the abyss, and then ultimately killed, which in the language of the spirit means that he will spend forever in the lake of fire where he will endure eternal torment. Think about it. The dragon, the leviathan, the serpent, the coiled or twisted serpent, 
the devil, Satan, the accuser, the deceiver of the whole world, the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, Lucifer, and all the many other ways to describe this cherub. And all his armies of angels will be defeated with just a word, a word that will be like a sharp sword that proceeds from the mouth of Jesus. This will prove that salvation, power, the kingdom, and the authority of Christ has come. The Accuser. For the accuser of the brethren has been caused to be thrown, he who is now accusing them before our God day and night. We addressed the devil's role as the accuser when we talked about his slandering, for he is even now accusing the brethren before our God day and night. And because he examines all we do as he prowls about like a roaring lion, we can be confident that what he brings before the Father for judgment is legitimate and true. After all, we give him plenty of ammunition against us when it comes to the choices in our lives. The accuser is just a tool. But what is fascinating is that though the accuser hopes to gain permission through his accusations to come against the brethren to hurt, crush, devour, and break them, God has a completely different purpose in allowing the enemy's accusations to come before him. When God hears an accusation and grants the right for the enemy to come against any of the believers, his aim is to teach and instruct just as he did with Job. Therefore, he will use the enemy as a tool to provide his people another opportunity to learn why they can trust themselves to Yahweh and how to trust themselves to Yahweh. He accomplishes this by teaching them the futility and ridiculousness of relying on their own wisdom, their own strength, their own goodness, etc., and the abject foolishness of trusting in this world and in the lies and deception of the enemy. When our Father utilizes the tool of the accuser, it is always all about relationship and him teaching us that there is no safer place to be found than in the sanctuary now worshiping Yahweh. Therefore, despite what the enemy thinks he has over us, God is always working for us, even when he must choose to let the accuser operate against us. Let me say that again. Despite what the enemy thinks he has over on us, God is always working for us, even when he must choose to let the accuser operate against us. Thus, we should never be afraid of the accuser. Even though he is extremely busy day and night slandering us, when it all comes down to it, he is just a tool to give us the opportunity to be willing to let the Spirit of God build and strengthen our faith, our hope, and our love. It is happening now. By the way, accuses is rendered in the present active participle. It should read as now accusing. This is important because it explains so much about our lives and the troubles we must go through. If we can remember this when we are confronted in our soul with doubt and accusation, we can ask the Spirit of God to help us not be consumed by the ways of the enemy. After all, this will continue to happen. The devil will continue to make accusations about believers until this time of the events of the seventh trumpet, until we are ascended to the heavenlies at the time of the rapture. And the devil is simultaneously cast down or caused to be thrown 
to the earth. The Great Exchange. Satan and his angels being cast to the earth is probably one of the most significant exchanges or transactions that has ever occurred or will ever occur. Those who abide in the world refuse to accept Yahweh, and they oppose all those who call on his name. They have valued and loved the prince of this world and all that this world has to offer. Well, now they get to have him, the devil, in the raw. Yahweh exchanges the devil's presence in the heavenlies with ours, just as he exchanges our presence on this earth with the devil's and his angels. This is a beautiful transaction and one that, well, will not end up so well for those who abide in the world. Victory over the devil, Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love agape their self unto death. For this reason, you are commanded to now be caused to rejoice, O heavens, and you who are now dwelling in them. We continue to see the demarcation of the measurement made in the sanctuary play itself out in contrast. Here we find the contrast between those who are now dwelling in the heavens and those who don't. The they who overcame the dragon speaks of the brethren, the two witnesses, the 144,000, the bondservants of God, those who follow the lamb wherever he goes, those who are now overcoming. They overcame him, the dragon, Satan, and being rendered in the indicative, this is a statement of fact. This does not mean they were perfect, and it does not mean that they did not give the accuser plenty of ammunition with which to accuse them. But they overcame because through it all, they learned why they could trust themselves to Yahweh and how to trust themselves to Yahweh. They exercised their authority to choose to become children of God, dependent upon him for all things, all the time. We are given three facets to their victory. And since, according to the code, three is the number indicating perfection, we know that this is a perfect description of those who are now dwelling in the heavens those who have been raised up with Christ, those who are now worshiping in the sanctuary of God. Facet one, the blood of the lamb. By the blood of the lamb. This is another way of saying that they became convinced throughout their lives that only God is good. Therefore, they learned how to be desperate for all that Yahweh is for them. They became convinced that the only reason they could have any standing with the father is because of the son, because of the sacrifice the blood that he spilt to make atonement for their inability to be good. They came to believe that Jesus came in the flesh and that it was his blood that paved the way for them to be in relationship with God and to know peace with God, a relationship not blemished by sin. And they took it, embraced it, and bet their lives on the blood and upon the righteousness that comes only from Yahweh Sidkenu. Because of the blood of the lamb, is another way of expressing that the two witnesses lived their lives by grace through faith, where they looked to Yahweh to be the one who is their good and to be the one who did all his good works in and through their lives whenever he wanted to. Sure, they were not perfect, but they were on a journey of continually discovering why they can trust Yahweh and how to trust him. And over time, they learned that faith is a now thing. And so they came to understand that they must choose to now be believing in the name of Yahweh, the one who is and will always be their perfection. 
facet two, the testimony of the word of God, by the word of their testimony. They were not afraid to stand on the truth of the word of God and declare that Jesus is Yahweh and that Yahweh is Lord, the absolute sovereign despot, that only Yahweh is good, and that they were aliens and strangers in this world, passing through as they journeyed to their true abode in the heavens. As such, they boldly brought forth the prophetic word that flowed like fire from their mouths, announcing a terrible doom to all those who did not accept the gospel of Jesus Christ as the singular way to God. Despite the lies and distortions that had been told for centuries, they understood the true gospel. They knew that for Yahweh to be free to express his goodness in and through a person's life, a person must take step one and become converted by God. They must be born again. Then they must dig down deep in their soul and take step two and choose to become like a little child dependent upon Yahweh for all things, all the time. The word of their testimony speaks simply of a willingness to let Yahweh be who he says he is, their Lord God Almighty, the source of all, their I am, who is a rewarder of those who are now seeking him. As such, they trusted that it was the job of Yahweh Mekorishkem and his alone to transform them in his timing into an imager of Jesus Christ. That is the testimony that provoked the ire of those in the temple at large, all those in the religion of Christianity, and elicited from them hatred, violence, rejection, betrayal, and ultimately murder. Facet number three, they did not love their lives, and they did not love their self unto their death. Self-love seems like an epidemic in our modern world as people are obsessed with themselves. Everything seems to be about the me and branded with the I. But these ones who overcame the dragon did so believing that there is nothing in them, nothing in this life, and nothing in their flesh that is worth holding on to, nothing that is worth trying to save. They agreed with God that all of it is dead and dying, and only in him is life. Thus, they were willing to purchase from Jesus the gold, having been refined in the fire, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and face death, a spiritual death, willing to let Jesus kill their flesh, believing that like the Apostle Paul, they too could one day declare, I have been caused to be crucified with Christ. I now live, but it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. As a result, they also became willing to accept physical death when those who dwell in the temple, in the apostate religion of Christianity and Judaism, as well as the other religions of the world, literally slaughtered them because their love for the Lamb of God and because of the word of their testimony. Rejoice plus dwelling in the heavens. For this reason, you are commanded to now be caused to rejoice, O heavens, and you who are now dwelling in them. This phrase, are now dwelling, in textual form is italicized and highlighted because that is what the Greek does. The verb is vocative, thus with heightened emotion. It designates those being addressed. Yes, they are now dwelling in the heavens. We have talked about this dynamic before and how the bondservants of Jesus Christ have a dual existence. Yes, they are living in this world, but they do not abide in this world. Their abode is in the heavens where they have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. Hence the image of the 24 elders sitting around the throne. 
The word translated as dwell is the word to tent or encamp as God did in the tabernacle. The bondservants of God encamp in the heavens. It is not their permanent home since God will be creating a new heaven and a new earth. But it is their temporary residence in his presence, a place that is separate and distinct from where those who are now dwelling on the earth abide. Now, not only do these two witnesses reside in the heavens, but there are also so many more who are now continually dwelling in the heavens. In fact, there's a huge cloud of witnesses surrounding the two witnesses. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriad of angels, to the general assembly of the church and the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Thus, this command to now be caused to rejoice over the fact that these bondservants have overcome the dragon is for all those in the heavenly realms. God loves rejoicing. He's not a God of depression and sadness, but of rejoicing and celebration. And when his people overcome, he breaks out the joy. By the way, he's not commanding us to suck it up in the midst of all our sorrow and tragedy and be good Christian witnesses and rejoice. No, he is commanding us to let his spirit cause us to rejoice. It is rendered in the passive voice. This captures the essence of by grace through faith, our willingness to let God do what God does in and through our lives when we are now believing in him. He will cause us to rejoice if we are willing. The third woe. The devil unleashed on humanity. If you remember back in Revelation 8.13, John heard an eagle flying in midair call out with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. That would be the woes brought about by the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets. With the first woe, we saw the beast, the angel of the abyss, entered the world and with him an army of locust-like demonic beings that will lie, seduce, and deceive people to follow the beast through prophetic revelations. They will torture many to ensure that they remain loyal and will not fall backward toward the grace of God. With the second woe, we saw death, the slaying of one-third of mankind and the hardening of the hearts of so many others who refuse to repent. With the third woe, we see the strongest of warnings about the devil and what will ensue when he is expelled from heaven and caused to be thrown down with his armies to the earth. Revelation 12, 12. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you now having great wrath, knowing that he now has only a short time. Woe to those who do not belong to Yahweh for the devil is consumed by wrath. And he is now having great wrath. And since he knows that he has a short time only, he is vicious. We will dive into this more in our next podcast. I am glad you tuned in and have been ready to listen. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to 
threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.